Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, apinos? What the fucking ucks? What the fucking nuts? All right, let's stop this. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. Today on the show, the creator and executive producer of Community, Mr. Dan Harmon, will be in the garage. A very intense, very smart man. Uh, very exciting to, to talk to him. What else is going on? I, I should tell you about some gigs. I neglected to plug my own goddamn shows on this show, and you would think that I would think to do that. Because you would think that would be part of it. Hey, isn't Marin or aren't podcasters just doing podcasts to promote their live shows? Apparently, for me, it's an afterthought. But I will be this week uh, at the Foxwoods uh, Casino at Comics. That is June. That's this week, June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So if you're in that area, that's somewhere in Connecticut. I think that's the name of the town. Somewhere in the middle of Connecticut. Take a bus, get on a train. Drive your car, come out and see me and Ryan Singer out there at Foxwoods. We could use the company. I never know what to expect when I do a casino gig. I don't do them often. Uh, I try not to gamble because I don't like it. I don't. It does not make me happy. I've never had a successful role where where I got the bug. I'm I'm grateful that I don't have the gambling bug, but I've never had that that one experience where I'm like, holy shit, I just made. $50,000 at a craps table. Well, of course, if you're making, uh, you know, 10 to $25 bets at a blackjack table, there's really no way to win $50,000 at a craps table. So that never happened. And blackjack, the most I've ever won is $800. And then you got to walk away with it. If you're actually in the casino for three days doing gigs, how the fuck are you going to walk away with any money? Even if you win some money, why am I ruining my trip? I'm taking Sanchez with me, so we're going to have a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe uh, maybe Singer will have his car, and we can uh, go to the Mystic uh, Connecticut Aquarium. All right, enough of that. That Okay, also Denver at the Comedy Works, June 16th through 19th. This is the first time I've ever been to Denver to perform comedy my entire career. That club has been around forever. I've wanted to play that club forever, but this is the first time I've been there. This is where my career is. I'm like... Uh, I'm like a new, I'm like a new guy. Also, if I could just say this, is it okay for me to be proud of myself? Would you guys mind terribly if I had a moment of pride? I don't know if you guys heard about this, but I got together with Jesse Thorne, who you guys may know from The Sound of Young America, Jordan Jesse Go, his guy Nick White, uh, and we produced a 10-part series uh, of WTF for public radio, for public radio consumption. It, they are the very interviews that we did here in the garage, but they've uh, been re-edited. Some of them have been grouped together in a 10-part series, uh, the like uh, the Conan interview, the Robin Williams interview, the Louis C.K. interview, the Judd Apatow interview uh, is all on there. Mike DiStefano, Margaret Cho, Janine Garofalo, Dane Cook, Ben Stiller, uh, to name a few, uh, Bob Odenkirk, Maria Bamford. And uh, we, we made a deal with the Public Radio Exchange uh, to make it available for public radio stations. And it looks like WBEZ is going to start running WTF, on June 5th. So if you live in the Chicago area, you can listen to that. I, KCRW here in LA is going to be uh, running them beginning in July. And I heard the WNYC picked them up as well, though we don't know when they're going to run. This is a an exciting thing. I never thought 
that when I started doing this, that this this could possibly happen. I mean, it's NPR. I listen to NPR. Quite honestly, it's really the only thing I listen to. Uh, when I'm in the car or when uh, I'm not listening to music, I have NPR going on in the house. Uh, I always saw it as sort of a, an elite world. And the fact that we are coming up from the side we're coming up, we are coming up into NPR, uh, into that world. It, it, look, plenty of radio shows have their podcasts, and, and then you get them that way. But I believe this may be the first time that a podcast has entered the realm of NPR from the ground up. You know what I mean? A, this is my garage. This is like fucking punk rock on NPR. And I don't see myself as punk rock, but I do. I have a certain amount of awareness that this is a new medium. It's an exciting medium. It's a, uh, a medium that provides us a lot of creative freedom. Uh, nobody can really tell me what to do, uh, which I like. And now all of a sudden we're, we're going to be on NPR with the show that we produce here in the garage. It's, it's exciting. And I hope people like it in that format. I, I, I'm, uh, I just don't know what it's going to, I just never would see, I never could, would, would have thought that my tone and my type of expression would be accepted or embraced by NPR. It's exciting. I thought I'd tell you about it. Also, I finished the Keith Richards book, but before I get into that, because now I have it marked, I, I have uh, post-its in there, I have chapters that I think are important, I've underlined some stuff, and I didn't realize what I was underlining until after uh, I was going back through it. It's interesting when, if you're an underliner, if you ever go back into your old books and, and see just what the fuck did I underline, and what was I thinking at that moment, uh, I have so many books in here many of which I haven't really read all the way through, but I've certainly done some underlying and underlining, and I've talked about that before, but it's interesting why, why you underline something and trying to recapture that moment where that resonated so deeply with you that it was important to underline. Sometimes I look at books, I can't figure out what the fuck I was thinking. But before I get into reading from the, uh, from the scriptures of uh, Life by Keith Richards, I'd like to address my mother. My mother called me yesterday. Uh, I made her feel guilty for not reaching out more. And then she said, well, why don't you call me? I said, I do call you. But then like a day after I called her, she called me. She had sort of a serious tone in her voice. And she said, Mark, why do you have a picture of me in your garage? Now, I, I didn't quite remember what she was talking about, but I, I think that Gary Shanley noticed the picture that I do have of my mother, which was taken in 1963. I'm about maybe a couple of months old. She's sitting on this large sort of uh, vinyl lazy boy holding me and it's 1963 so I, I'm not allowed to say how old this picture is uh, she put it at uh, at 30 years so you, you do the math is that possible I don't know but she looks adorable my mom's got she's got a beehive hairdo here she's got those big painted on eyebrows and she's holding me like she has no idea how I came out of her what she is supposed to do and uh, is this going to be okay? So really, on some level, this picture documents the beginning of whatever the fuck I am. Uh, whether that's a good thing or not, it's starting to be a good thing. But I'd say for most of my life, uh, you know, not so much. But she asked me, why is that in there? I said, well, because people have pictures of their family. You, you put them up on your wall. A lot of people, people have pictures of the entire, uh, you, you know, the entire uh, history of their family. And she says, well, why don't you have um, other pictures in your garage, like pictures of us when we lived in Albuquerque or pictures uh, of um, when you come down to Florida? I think I have the only mother in the world that could possibly think that she didn't look her best 
when she was, you know, however old she was here. Very young, by the way. So now I'm in this weird position. I think she was concerned that Gary Shandling would judge her uh, based on (laughs) this picture of uh, me and her from 1963. And she just didn't want that out there. Yeah, she wanted to make sure that if I'm going to have pictures of her, that I show her now because uh, she likes herself better now. So now I've got to you know, find other pictures of my mother. Is, is that amazing? Isn't it even more amazing when you look at pictures of yourself when you were a baby? Like, how the hell did I get from there to this? And what have I gone through? Oh, my fucking God. Like, that guy, that kid, that's a little fucking you know, confused kid that may be about to fart or need something to eat or just is trying to deal with shapes uh, is now me. And then I started to you know, think about Keith Richards. And and he said something. If we could go to the scriptures, please. Uh, I believe the chapter. Let's see where we at. Chapter seven uh, was really compelling to me because it talked a lot about music, about his sound, about where it came from. But what what I'd like to do is address this in talking about who he is and, you you know, what you know, what he became. uh, I'm reading from uh, Keith Richards life page three hundred and sixty four. I can't untie the threads of how much I played up to the part that was written for me. I mean, the skull ring and the broken tooth and the coal. Is it half and half? I think in a way, your persona, your image, as it used to be known as like a ball and chain. People think I'm still a goddamn junkie. It's 30 years since I gave up the dope. Image is a long shadow. Even when the sun goes down, you can see it. I think some of it is that there is so much pressure to be that person that you become it. Maybe to a certain point that you can bear. It's impossible not to end up being a parody of what you thought you were. There is something inside of me that just wants to excite that thing in other people because I know it's there in everybody. There's a demon in me and there's a demon in everybody. I get a uniquely ridiculous response. The skulls flow in by the truckload sent by well-wishers. People love that image. They imagined me. They made me. The folks out there created this folk hero. Bless their hearts, and I'll do the best I can to fulfill their needs. They're wishing me to do things that they can't. They've got to do this job. They've got this life. They're an insurance salesman. But at the same time, inside of them is a raging Keith Richards. When you talk of a folk hero, they've written the script for you, and you better fulfill it. And I did my best. It's no exaggeration that I was basically living like an outlaw. And I got into it. I knew that I was on everybody's list. All I had to do was recant and I'd be all right. But that was something I just couldn't do. That's from the book Life by Keith Richards. And why does that resonate with me? Because there was a period I bought my first guitar because of the guitar that Keith Richards had. I had a picture of him with a cream colored Telecaster or blonde colored Telecaster. I'm like, that's got to be the first guitar that I purchase. Uh, the hair, the 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 way he held himself on stage, everything about him, I was like, that's that's what I want. I believed that folk hero. I believed that there was a Keith Richards inside of me. Now, now, mind you, I went through different periods. I mean, there was a period where I I believe there was a Tom Waits inside of me. I believe there was a Bowie inside of me. That was a confusing period. Uh, I believe there was a John Lennon inside of me. You know, later in life, I believe that there was a Woody Allen inside of me, which obviously there still is. I believe that there was a uh, you know who else? A Hunter S. Thompson inside of me. I believed. That this scrambling for identity when you have people like this. I mean, and then he addresses what, what I thought was really the most telling uh, part of this. And, and I think it's important, if I could read again from the scriptures uh, about the scriptures of, uh, of life by Keith Richards about being a junkie. 
And this is from page 261 if you want to follow along. The life of being a junkie is not recommended to anybody. I was on the top end and that was pretty low. It's certainly not the road to musical genius or anything else. It was a balancing act. I've got loads of things to do. This song's interesting, and I want to make copies of all this stuff, and I'd be doing it for five days, perfectly balanced on this equilibrium of cocaine and heroin. But the thing is that after about six or seven days, I'd forget what the balance was, or I'd run out of one side of the balance or the other because I was always having to think about supplies. The key to my survival was that I paced myself. I never really overdid it. And I'd like to just interject here. Really, Keith? Seriously? Really? Well, I shouldn't say never. Oh, okay, okay. Sometimes I was absolutely fucking comatose, but I think it really became to me like a tool. I realized I'm running on fuel and everybody else isn't. They're trying to keep up with me and I'm just burning. I can keep I can keep going because I'm on pure cocaine. None of that shit crap. I'm running on high octane. And if I feel like I'm pushing it a little bit, need to relax it, have a little bump of smack. It sounds ridiculous now in a way, but the truth is that was my fuel, that speed ball. But I have to impress on anyone who reads this that this was the finest, finest cocaine and the purest purest heroin this was no crap off the street no mexican shoe scrapings this was the real shit in order to deal with one's morbidity or in order to deal with one's levity it was like a balancing act and it could keep me going for days and days without realizing that in fact i was wearing guys ragged all right that's from page uh, 261 of the the uh, the scriptures of life by Keith Richards and I think that the the important thing for me there was to realize that there was this idea you know for every Keith Richards which there is only one there's got to be at least ten thousand dead junkies who couldn't play guitar you got to bring the craft to it first and then if you need the drugs or if you choose to use the drugs once the craft is in place maybe they'll help but that's not even guaranteed I think that's amazing I wonder how many people have died in the name of Keith Richards thinking that that you needed to do the heroin first and I know I've talked about that before. But I guess, I guess it all comes around to, to being comfortable with yourself. And the, and the thing that I learned from the Keith Richards book is that not only is he much smarter than, than anyone thought, but, but he seems to, to be you know, really himself. And I think when you talk about folk heroes or you talk about hero worship or you talk about, you know, look, I look at tapes of me over the years, different haircuts, different facial hair, different pants, different images, that there was this scrambling. I mean, I have, I have pictures from a photo booth where I had shaved my head and I was wearing a punk rock shirt. I remember I'd bought a skateboard and I went down to Washington Square Park with this brand new skateboard and sat on it and watched people who knew how to be on a skateboard skate. And I had no idea. And I was already like close to 30 years old and there was no way I was going to learn it. But I was lost enough to pick an identity for myself that I thought would work. It didn't last. None of them lasted. And quite honestly, it's taken me 47 years. I mean, maybe 45 45 years for me to finally be comfortable in my own fucking body after thinking and wanting and comparing and trying to, to, to integrate and be somebody else or to take what they had in terms of an identity when I was younger. You know, that's just the, that's what happens with hero stuff. That's what happens when you worship people or you, you want to be like them. It's a way for you to, to have a template for yourself until yourself fills up your own self. And there's no reason you can't be influenced by other people. But man, it's taken me this long to finally land in my fucking body. All the way from this picture of my mother with her painted on eyebrows and this cute beehive hairdo and me just this little infant, two or three months old. Shit, man. It took me like 45 years from there. Pure self. Pure self in that moment where I'm sitting there on my mother's lap 
It's taken me 45 years to get to myself again. Okay, folks, uh, as you know, Men of a Certain Age, the wonderful show with Ray Romano uh, and Scott Bakula and uh, Andre Brower is uh, premiering on June 1st. That's Wednesday. That's this week. June 1st. Uh, check your local listings. The Onions AV Club calls Wednesday's premiere the best episode of the whole series. It's a great show. Brower was nominated for an Emmy. The fuck, the fuck, it won, it won a Peabody Award. You can go to TNT.TV and learn more about it. But, uh, I, you know, I've been calling Ray, and I, and I think it's been going pretty well. And, and I think, you know, since this is the last, uh, the last plug, uh, I think that it's only right that I give him a call again. Uh, just to, you know, just to get, maybe get a little closure and, and, and just talk to him, you know, uh, you know, maybe not one last time, but you know, just one more time, uh, for this, uh, for this series of calls. So let's, uh, let's call Ray one more time. Again, men of a certain age airs June 1st. That's Wednesday, this Wednesday. Uh, so check those listings for time. It's a great show. It's a great season. I enjoyed it. And I'm going to call Ray again. Hello. Ray, sorry, Mark Marin. It's Mark again. Yeah, see, I know you well enough to know that uh, you know that you're just being nice now. But look, I am not gonna No no no, I'm just I'm just you know, we we just I know. kinda just talked to each other. I, all right. That's cool, that's cool. Well look, I well, I'm actually calling just to apologize for something. It's a little weird. Uh I know you guys trusted me with this D V D, the the the, yeah. the what do you call it, the advanced DVDs. And I know that, like, I, obviously, I'm not going to sell them or anything or put them online, right? But, right. but, but, you know, I was with my girlfriend, and I got nothing to do at night sometimes, and I, I let her, uh, I watched them with her, and and this is before they've even been on television, and I just wanted to admit to it. I wanted to. All right. Well, I'm, let's. I appreciate the uh, the confession, but it's the uh, you know you're not uh, mad about it's not it that big a deal just you know as long as you know you keep it in the family yeah yeah no 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 i'm not i'm not even giving them to, to friends i just no, listen uh, listen let me just say this what? You, I, 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 you know i've been a fan of yours so for you to be a fan of ours yeah you know that's very flattering okay and for you to worry be worried about you know you're showing your girlfriend that's cool just i mean she know i'm sure she's not going to take them and put them anywhere that's cool yeah and you know the you know you've been calling a couple times and uh, I appreciate it. I get yeah, it. Yeah. And and it really does mean a lot to okay. me and Mike that well, you like our show. Yeah. And and you know, let's just let, we're cool. I mean, I don't, okay. All right. Well, that's good. I, I you know, we, we we're busy now getting back into production. Right. So, right. Right. Um. You know, could I mean we're done with the calls, right? We're done with the phone calls. Oh yeah, right? yeah. No, no, Ray. I, yeah, no. I you know I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I, no, I no, no, no. Because I like I like what yeah. you're saying. I just. I, no, I understand. I, I understand. Swear, I just we were busy. So all right, we, I understand. So I, I we, 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 no, I want you to. Said, do, we said it all, right? We said no, it all. no, we're good. We're good, and I won't, you know, I won't call you, uh, you know, for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you're it's not cool. It's cool. Let's, well, let's just let the show play out, and then we'll see. Okay, good. We'll, okay, that's a deal. So I'll call you after the show plays. Um, if you know, if you have to. All, then, all right. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I no, hope, no, I understand. You know, I understand. I mean, I. No, no, I understand. If, if yeah. I have to call, I'll call. Okay, man. All good. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all good. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, Just, no, you know. good. I appreciate it because, I, you know, I think that yeah. these conversations have brought us closer, and, and uh, you know, I won't abuse that. Yeah, you know what? Breaking Bad starting up again. You should, you should, that's a good show. Do you have his number, Cranston's? Uh, I, I I think his agent is probably listed. Oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. All right, good, good. Well, Ray, again, great job. 
All right, man. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. All right. Okay. Well, I, th- I think that went okay. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe I should pull back. Maybe I should pull back, but it's good to talk to him. Again, new episodes of Men of a Certain Age begin Wednesday, June 1st on TNT. Check your local listings for time, or you can go to uh, tnt.tv to learn more about the show. Yeah, I mean, I should probably just lose that, that number for a little while. Uh, how old are you? Uh, thirty-eight. All right, so I'm older. Why? Because well, well, I feel like I met, like I got on late on the Mad Magazine thing. I'm forty-seven. I did. I did too. I mean, I, uh, I, all that stuff was just. I, I would find that laying around. Like right. I, I, and- I, 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 I never, I never went and bought it. It was always Big Brother stuff. And you have uh, a Big Brother. Yeah. How old was he? Uh, he's five years older than me. Oh, see, that's a gift. Yeah. Yeah, so I got, you know, that's how you get Led Zeppelin. That's how you that's get... It. Oh, uh, <laughs> absolutely. All of it. The entire 60s yeah. and uh, early 70s are delivered to your doorstep. <laughs> well, for some reason, Led Zeppelin transcends everything. Like, it doesn't matter how, when your brother was born. If you have an older brother, then he had Led Zeppelin tapes. That's true. I <laughs> I am an older brother, but I think I had friends who had that. But then also when I was in high school, that was around. So you had Led Zeppelin. What else did you get? Uh, well, my brother, you know, courtesy of my brother, like Jane's addiction in the, as the 90s oh, yeah, yeah. started, like Sinead O'Connor, like yeah. it, it was, it was, it, it was always nice that, uh, yeah, to have, because I was listening to Phil Collins and, oh. and, and dancing in the mirror with, no, he, with my sweater and my, uh, oh no, and, so yeah. he saved you. Yeah, kind of. You did. You really did because, uh, yeah, you hear when you listen to Jane's addiction at the age of 14, you're again, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's. So it's it's probably better for your soul than Phil Collins. The be- the first album, uh, the Jane's Addiction album with on the beach yeah, on it. And, well, yeah, Ben Ben caught stealing and yeah. And oh, that's well, that's a later one, but the oh, the, the first one that almost feels like a concept album. Uh, that I can't I can't remember what it's called now. Damn, do I have to look it up? Um, Dan Harmon's in my garage, by the way. <laughs> I can just picture the the first album in my head, and I think there was a song on there called. It, it was just along lines with with Zeppelin too. Like those are definitely big brain changing, uh, brain changing rock and roll. Yeah, and 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 Pink Floyd. I don't even know how I forgot about that. That that's I, the ultimate. Yeah, like, were you a Pink Floyd guy? Yeah, yeah. I did. I was just talking to Brian Poussain about that. Yeah, nothing shocking. That's no, the album. Uh, right, 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 right. What Jane says on it. And summertime rolls. Oh right, so ritual de la habitual. But that was the second. That was yeah, actually was like a follow up. Yeah, nothing shocking was actually sort right. Of their... The big album. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You remember that one? Yeah. Okay, we're good. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad we got past that. That was rough. <laughs> so how do I, I mean? I've run into you several times. Like now that I see you in the flesh, I feel like we've crossed paths a lot. Yeah, uh, two times stick out in my memory. One, the, the in in order of proximity to the present. In, in other words, looking backward. Yeah. The last time I think I saw you was in New York. Uh, it was 2006. Yeah. And I only remember the year because I was writing on the 2006 Video Music Awards. Right. And we were, for some reason, both at Jack Black's uh, apartment. That was, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, for me, the reason was that I was writing for Jack on the It was awards. his birthday. Oh. And I got cajoled into that by uh, Morgan Murphy. Right. I, it was one of those things where she's like, oh, I'm going to Jack Black's. I'm like, you know, I don't know everybody that well. I'm not going to... I mean, I know Jack and Kyle, and I know Tim Robbins, kind of, but I didn't know... It's one of those situations where, like, it's a party, and she's like, yeah, and you walk in, there's, like, nine people. Yeah, and it and was... They, yeah, it and was, they couldn't have been weirder mix of people. It was a very swanky apartment. It's not like anybody there was... Yeah. But it was like... Yeah, I, and I remember 
it was my second time being in New York, and uh, I was having some weird actual vertigo, even in the subways. And I remember asking Tim Robbins about it because I I was like, you're bi-coastal. Like, what is there a, a word for what I'm what's happening to me? Like yeah. I was getting physically dizzy yeah. on subway platforms and I, I and he said, I think you're just freaked out to be in New York and I, <laughs> I, I didn't want that to be true, but it really was the case. I'm like the opposite of Woody Allen. <laughs> like I, I was I couldn't survive in that city. I, Where'd you, I, well, where are you from? You grew up here? I grew up in Milwaukee and then I came here about fifteen years ago. So you grew up your whole life in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. Whole, I don't even know what that means, Dan. It's just, it's it means uh it means a lot of really fantastic things because there's a lot of it's a it's uh I don't want to use the word simplicity because that sounds that's a word you use for uh, stupid people but it's a, uh, no so it's the, also a Zen word it's yeah it's 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 a small smaller scale obviously city which means it just it, it for for those of us who are not prodigies mm-hmm. <laughs> who are who are not uh, blowing minds by fifteen you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's better to grow up in a smaller town where you can just, you have this sandbox where you, if you decide at 22 that you want to do stand-up, you want to be a writer, you right. want to do, do, do you, you, in Milwaukee, if you stood on a street corner and said, I'm a welder, and you did that three days in a row, sooner or later someone's going to give you a job welding. Like, it's just, it was, <laughs> yeah. and that same went for writers. I mean, right. you didn't get paid anything. Right. But, but, but in the five years from when I declared myself a writer to yeah. when I was leaving for LA, I was like working for the mayor. I was doing like radio shows. It was like, like within Milwaukee, I was, I was given every opportunity that I, that I, thought that I wanted you know what I mean you like, made it to the top if I wanted to write a play I could write a play if right. I wanted to if I wanted to do a radio commercial for Bacardi there was always you know some ad campaign would come through and they wanted a cheap writer yeah. it was um, it was a nice place to cut your teeth that's interesting that there was enough of a uh, I guess advertising related or there was some market for a comedy writer right. in Milwaukee yeah. Or you figured it out somehow yeah, yeah I mean it's just well it's, it 'starts with like your your the one of the 20 people that does improv in Milwaukee. Okay, okay. And so then uh, Dick Chudnow, who worked with uh, uh, the Zucker brothers uh, pre-airplane, um, he like Kentucky Fried Theater. Yeah. Kentucky and, uh, Fried Movie, did he uh, do that? No. He he did Kentucky Fried Theater with okay, them. Okay. I don't know if he was involved in the movie. Um, I, don't, I don't remember who did that. But at some point he came back to Milwaukee and he started uh, Comedy Sports, which is sort of a profit profiteering bastardization Comedy of theater sports. Comedy sports from Milwaukee? Yeah, it started there. No kidding. Theater sports started with Keith Johnstone in Canada or something right. like that. That was not, that's non-profit. That's so you're like, an improv sketch guy. Yeah, yeah. Started, started as doing improv. Yeah. And then went from improv to written sketch, went from sketch to stand-up. It's all, if you if you graph that, it's me trying to figure out how little work I can do. And I keep finding out. Right. That it's harder and harder, you know. It's like it stand ups harder than sketch. Sketch yeah. is harder than improv. But uh, I, I was like looking for <laughs> like very, very little work for maximum profit. Were you doing stand up for long? No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit that. Uh, yeah, it's not your bag. Yeah, like I don't think I never. I'm yeah. good in L.A. You know, you, you're. Where are you from? You're from New Jersey, aren't you? I, grew, I was born in Jersey. I grew up in New Mexico. So you know, I didn't have there was not a uh, I didn't have any writing jobs. But if you've Albert. ever done stand up in like a smaller town, sure, um, and then come to L.A., you'll notice that it's a little softer here. Yeah, like people get up and they, 
I guess it's because your audience doesn't have work in the morning, and they'll probably have stand-up gigs too. So everyone sort of defaults to that kind of like, well, my stand-up's not working. Two, three, four, and yeah. everyone laughs at you saying two, three, four. Well, I think that that well that uh, that that dichotomy is doing it for a living and doing it because you can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it seems to me that if if you if you're out there doing the job of stand-up, you don't do much of that. <laughs> but right. but if you're here and it's a you know Tuesday night at Tiger Lily or at uh, you know at at the the Gower Gulch whatever that bar is over there you're not gonna you know bust your you know it's not a lot of pressure it's it's that's also like you know it's I think there's a lot of crutches available that that are sure. like you the the rooms are more interested in savviness than they are and like in in Milwaukee or Chicago that would kill you nobody's gonna sit there. And and indulge like, your day. Yeah, they're not gonna yeah. like. They're they they you you you're gonna need to be a certain distance from a punchline that someone can recognize. Sure, in sure. A, in a in a in a more industrial. We need town. closure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting because you know as you kind of progress as a comedy uh, writer, it seems and producer. I mean, you're you're at the top of your game now, but it would seem that in relation to middle America or in relation to the Midwest, that programs that you created, like the Sarah Silverman program and community, um, would also be sort of confrontational to them in terms of their sensibility of what is funny. Yeah, it's all about making your mom mad, not cleaning your room. (laughs) I think. How's that working out? It's, <laughs> are, are you making your mom mad? I think she's mad. I, I got to call her after this. I... Did you Did you go to uh, when you like getting back to the Midwest thing? We can talk about the the shows in a minute. I mean, what what kind of background do you come from? I mean, was it a working class background? Because when I think of Milwaukee, I, you, you always think of the beer. You always think like I've never been there. Uh, I've no. It's not far from Chicago, right. correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was just in Madison. They're lovely people. The mm. Midwesterners, very repressed. Yeah, uh, Madison's like pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. But there's a politeness in the Midwest that I, I find creepy. Right. Uh, I find it in the South as well that I like. I wish that people would just yell at me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what kind of background did you have, and what was the situation? Uh, I grew up in a in a lower lower middle class suburb uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, my my dad was. Uh, he went to a technical college and he uh, sort of worked his way up uh, from basically mopping floors at a film lab to to being like sort of a, a, a upper level kind of sales executive sort uh, sort of. Uh-huh. My mom had had gone from going to some school to you know raising the kids. We were we were pretty poor, um, but not. I mean, it depends on the fucking context yeah I mean, yeah if someone, you got by. If, if someone from lebanon is listening uh, yeah you know, we, we were rich um but, but working uh, class yeah we were um yeah we, we we it was don't drink milk if you're thirsty drink water and and uh why do you need jiff when you can have generic peanut butter and everything in the closet was everything in the cupboard was generic oh, really? like, yeah 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 uh, back and, in the day when it was just the black and white boxes yeah yeah and it literally said cereal yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah um and uh yeah they were they 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 were hands-on parents <laughs> they were like I, so hands-on yeah there was uh so Belts? They, yeah yeah they were and and so there was uh there's different strategies of coping with that and apparently mine was the was the bubble thing i kind of oh, yeah? drew inward right uh you were and, a superhero uh, with the bubble powers yeah 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 did a lot of reading and 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 cuz i learned that impressing people like I think my brother, if he was, if, if hopefully he would agree with this and wouldn't feel insulted by my diagnosis of this, but I think my brother, who came five years before me, adapted to the the hands-on aspect 
uh, almost by like getting into it, like, like, like he became a more sort of self-destructive antagonistic, like, uh, oppositional defiant to your dad, uh, to everybody, to the world, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's DiCaprio in Marvin's room. It's, uh, it's that whole thing. It's the, is he still like that? No, no, he's, he's, he's He's put the sword down. Yeah. Well, for him, it was, according to him, it was having a kid. No, it's just, it's just, uh, went away. He, cause he's now this opportunity to, you know, he's, he's just got unconditional love for his daughter to do it differently. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's like, he doesn't talk to my family anymore, but he, he, it seems like a healthy choice for him. Like he, he, he's very happy and loves his daughter. And so, so it was that gnarly, huh? Yeah. And whereas I just sort of like, I moved in, like, and, and started playing hard to get emotionally. Yeah, yeah. So all my therapists tell me there's wires cut in there that were cut in an emergency, and it has to do with whatever. I, I'm not one of those uh, childhoods affect your, uh, you know, that you. It's, I don't think that stuff's unchangeable, but I do think that I, uh, that coupled with whatever congenital. No, I agree. Die rolls in yeah. my head is basically like I. I grew up kind of like sitting in the corner, wanting to get people to say I was special by being quiet. Right. Uh, and then I learned to talk, and I and then I was trying to get people to say I was special by using big words and stuff. <laughs> How did that go? Uh, it went good. Everybody was. Did you go to college? I was special. Yeah, I went to Marquette, but then I dropped out before you finished. Yeah. Freshman year, I couldn't. I was going down the street and doing stand up at this place, uh, right. the safe house. And uh, I was just up till three in the morning with the stand ups. Sure. And, uh, I, it was, you know, I was experiencing two things for the first time at that time. One yeah. was performing for people, yeah. and the other was this college thing that had been the goal for t- 20 years. But the college thing was like, it wasn't making any sense at all. Really, I was getting F's in English, and I was a good writer, you know. I, I, but I, I just, it was, I was not making classes, and I was not boozing and shit. Yeah, I was, and yeah. I was not able to. Uh, uh, I was not a disciplined student. Yeah, I, I acquired any work ethic at all. So I, I, I dropped out and and focused on my my comedy. <laughs> and then you moved out here. Yeah. Now, do you talk to your parents? Uh, yeah. All right, so it's just your brother who's like, nope. Yeah, the irony is I probably talk to them less. I certainly talk about them less. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you know it's like I'm I'm the it's the cat in the cradle. Like I'm the I was the mama's boy and the 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 good example. But that's because I so, so I, I they, they, they don't they don't they don't I don't call them on their birthday. I don't call them at Christmas. It's like oh good job you back to the right horse there. Yeah you yeah, know, yeah I know they 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 uh... you're just because you're emotionally detached that they right. thought you were a sweet kid. Right right. <laughs> They don't realize that they crippled you. Well, I think that's what they were. I think that's what they were training us for. I think they were going to my. They were saying to my brother, "Why can't you be more like this? Yeah. Meaning, be more like a potato, <laughs> so, so that we so that we can get back to our, our business." Uh, and the uh, you know the potato is thirty eight now. And yeah, it's, I'm a shitty son. And he's and he's growing those weird sprouts. Right <laughs> <That's> <laughs> There's true, roots coming out of the potato. <laughs> Well, that well, that's. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting w- what we do to protect ourselves in the emotional situation. I like that analogy that your uh, therapist made. Was that hers? That you cut wires in an emergency? Uh, I've or heard that. that. I mean, I've been to so many therapists. I think I heard that somewhere along the way. What's your fundamental sort of like? What what do you go for? Because I find as I get older, I went to a therapist. Like you know what you're going for now. I mean, like usually, what is the the predicament that sends you? Oh, oh, well, if I yeah, it's always about uh, girlfriends, you know, like like you know, I'm 
I'm living with my final girlfriend now. Um, You've decided I mean, it's final. Yeah, I'm. I'm certain that. I mean, it's either this or. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or I'll. They'll have to freeze me in a block of ice and. <laughs> yeah. Thaw me when. Yeah. When women can be with someone like me. Yeah. But uh, she's she's as she's as close as uh, as I, as I, as I'm gonna get to to somebody being able to, uh, you know, love me unconditionally. Right. And uh, I. I, it, it's always this way. It's like I'm. I start whenever I'm going back to therapy. I'm going because I'm in danger of fucking up with somebody that that right. deserves better. Yeah, and I know that one. What, do, what, how do you do it? Do you do it through anger or shutting down, or what's your what's your style? It's shutting down. It's just, oh, yeah. it's all it's all negative space. It's all it's all yeah, what's yeah, not yeah. there. It's yeah. like I never. I don't do I don't do anything bad. I never cheat. I never I don't even flirt. I don't yeah. I don't I don't compete. I don't you know, there's a yeah. lot there's a ton of stuff I don't do, but well, that's my list of do's. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't uh you know I, I don't make a lot of eye contact. I right. don't. I don't. I forget. I, I go into a domestic kind of cocoon. Right. I, we, I stop having sex. I right. stop taking showers. Yeah. I stop. I focus on my work. <laughs> no just, showers. Yeah. I'm weird. So the 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 work though. I mean, Jesus. I mean, like I watch Community, and it's so smart on so many uh, levels. And there seems to like I always wonder with this because I'm not a TV writer. I don't know what it's like. I know it's a tremendous amount of work, and I also know that you have to man the ship, and you have a lot of people that you're working with. But it seems that the the intelligence of the show is running along the same lines as as The Simpsons, or or something that is is reflecting back on the culture and taking opportunities to satirize clearly things that that you dug, you know, films and other things that you're you're doing in and the claymation episode. I mean, you're doing things with what was a fairly mundane um, format, a sitcom, and you're just busting it open. I mean, are you aware? Uh, is that an agenda? Uh, I mean, or I'm being too heady. Am I deconstructing too much? No, it, it's. I mean, th- those are all accurate observations. The 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 reason behind them is that, and I, I'm not I'm not being overly glib or 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 humble or whatever you would call this. I I'm really hundred percent sincere when I say I do that because I would not be good at doing it. Uh, there are better people. Obviously, you can see from the Nielsen's. There are better people at writing the more straight shot at the bullseye kind of fair. So I've got to play in my strong corner, which is being sort of, uh, you know, existing within a frame that I can kind of grab a hold of and, and rattle it and go like, look at this frame. Right. Um, That's good. Yeah. It's sort of like if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not, doing it a little bit differently than why am I doing it because there's got to be 10 guys in line behind me who would be getting a three rating at 8 p.m. Uh, if, if, you know, by like just doing two and a half. Yeah, but you would, but you would never think to do that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, think I can't. Except, so I don't, you know, that's yeah, but, I, but is it something you want to do? Uh, I mean, was it ever a desire? I mean, it sounds like as a rebel, as somebody who, who, uh, you know, saw themselves, you know, initially as being special, that you're doing something special and it honors your voice. I mean, was there a period where, because I, I mean, I looked at your, your credits. I mean, it doesn't seem like there are plenty of guys your age or who want to do what you do that hacked it out for a few years in shitty shows. <laughs> I mean, you don't seem to have that. <laughs> this is, it's, this is so close to like a conversation when I was 16 with my parents. You know, there's a lot of people out there with a summer job. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That's what it, that is the, it's what it, it's behavior. And then there's cognition. There's in my head, 
if I could push a button and be mainstream, I mean, I don't know, Flowers for Algernon, the Homer Simpson crayon episode, whatever, we all ask ourselves that question sometimes, like, um, that might be a very presumptuous analogy, but, 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 I mean, we all ask ourselves, I think, um, if I could push a button and just do this kind of, quote unquote, whatever you call it, sell out, dumber, mainstream, um, uh, there's got to be a positive word for it. Uh, uh, successful. Um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> uh, yeah. No. If I could do that stuff, would I do it? And I guess it's it's it. You know, the answer is yes, as long as I could unpush the button. Uh, I don't. Or, wanna... or, or else not know that the button was there. I think that the the real issue with that kind of stuff is is and and the horror of it is is I think there are plenty of guys that do push that button but still know what they're doing. Uh, well, so yeah. that's the curse of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't want that gift. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, the gift of of uh, mediocrity of, of betraying your own that's children. Right. That's yeah, right. Of, of uh, yes. betraying yourself at the very Least. Yeah, I mean, I emotionally, I can't do that. I, I, for better or for worse, my work ethic is absolutely tied to the same part of my brain that generates adrenaline and 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 uh, love and like like I it, when I'm in the edit bay and a, and a cut's not working, um, whereas somebody else goes. Um, yeah, well, you want to try that a different way. So I, I just tend to go like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and I and I try to control it, and I because I have to work with other people, and this show is a bit, you know, a, you, you try to control the control freak. I try to control the emotional quotient to uh -huh. my emotional investment in what I do oh. because I'm operating in a medium right now where that is that that is very often a liability for everybody around you in the sense that you could create a negative. Uh, workplace yeah you're a crazy person oh, no one wants that. to work with you right. um you're, have you you're, been that guy uh yeah sure i've i've, I've yelled and and like uh you know it's 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 uh it, it, i get when i f when i'm in the middle of it's like you know when you're middle of taking a shit when you're in the middle of peeing yeah. when you're in the middle of coming giving birth yeah. uh, name any process where something is coming I've, out I've of done you. three out of four of those uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um the uh you people coming up to you and tapping you on the shoulder right is it's it's it freaks you out yeah because you got to start over or you got to get back to your flow and all the yeah also something yeah. inside you on the on the base of your uh your cortex is saying uh, this is a saber-toothed tiger. He's trying yeah. to eat your eggs. Yeah. Like like something it feels rapey about um, uh, someone questioning like something that I'm in the process of completing. Interesting. I, 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 I you know when you're when you're drawing in in sixth grade and you're you're trying to draw Inspector Gadget and yeah. and somebody comes over your shoulder and says, "Where is his hair?" That's mm. not Inspector Gadget yet. I don't see his hair, and you haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. Like I. You know, I, oh yeah, you just want to crumple I, it up. Well, you just go like, I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Or, or, or I'm, I'm doing Garfield now. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. You just, I just yeah. tend to like yeah. inside. Yeah. There's a little kid going, yeah. how fucking get 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 away from yeah, my yeah, eggs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm 38 now. The good news is we get slower and older. So yeah. like, I think that maybe I finally like I, I, I don't. It's like I can. I, 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 I can do these sort of secondary things. Like yeah. my emotional reactions, like I I let them go. And the, mo the, 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 the more I do that, the more I end up surrounded by people that are so good that they're starting to actually be... Now, now it's more like, 
going into the third season, I have I have worked with so many writers now yeah. that have made me realize that all of that was like it was probably not necessary. But it was also fear and it was also, you know, this is your thing and it's hard to trust people. Yeah. Until they prove themselves, right? Yeah. But anyways, to, yeah, the answer to your question that it's 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 always it's like there's no such thing as a as a hero that's just doing like I I I, I just can't that's just the way I I operate. So what do you I, mean? I, a, a I, hero that what? I, a hero that just does the only thing he can do. Like, right. Like there is no moment when like if a if a network is saying you know this would be more mainstream if you did it this way. Like if they were right. Yeah. And I thought that they were, and I like I would go, uh, 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 yeah. But the, the truth is that they're never. No one's ever actually – people are saying, well, you know what Two and a Half Men did last week? If you did that, then what happens to their show will happen to your show. And that's never true. What's true is that an audience wants to feel comfortable. That yeah. part I get. And I understand how like I often like am flying in the face of, of, of the audience's comfort. And so there's a ceiling perhaps on, on, the, on the mainstream appeal of whatever I do. But, I, but, but the important thing is – if if making people comfortable was the only thing you had to do in order to get ratings, like that's what you have to do after you get their attention. That's what you have to do after you engage them. But, but isn't to... that just a comfort relative to context? It's not like you've got people on there peeing. You know, it, it's not like they're 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 only uncomfortable in that. Like, I'm not sure what this is. Yeah, it's they're only uncomfortable in that. There's not a there's not a laugh track. There's right. not a it's and, and not only is there not a laugh track, but even getting used to, um, like just the fact that it's a single camera thing and there's. Uh, you can't even get used to that because the sh- the camera might decide from week to week that that it's uh, it wants to show you things this way or that way. Um, but also, what's interesting is that from the beginning, you know, when I watched even the first, even the pilot, you know, be, it, it's a show that you have to grow with, like any other show. And I think that the performers and you must have grown as well. That there was an element of in the first few episodes where I literally thought you were just turning TV in you know in on itself like right. you know look at we are we're joke machines fuck right. you right but then all of a sudden you know all the characters began to evolve organically and develop relationships with each other which I have to assume is not something you can really plan uh no you certainly can't schedule it you can yeah. you can have it as a goal right because it's tv but you can't i remember th- uh, thinking that it would take 12 episodes in the first season for the show to become uh less about joel McHale not wanting to hang out with these knuckleheads and it happened so fast like as soon as these people were on screen together um and the audience was seeing them on screen together they were they were six episodes behind what we had already done right and so there had to be all this correction even in the first season because the chemistry between these people it made it perfectly believable that they would all just be hanging out all the time right. and helping each other solve problems by 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 halloween of first season it was it, the, 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 it was an ensemble comedy it was a family comedy and 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 um yes you're right it was like it, it's there's this I'm always trying to gain and keep the audience's respect. Right. I always want them to know that the show doesn't think they're stupid for watching. Right. And um, there's a fine line between that and making them feel stupid for watching. Right. Because um, the other thing that you want to convince them of is that you're not going to hurt them. You're not going to. You're not going to get bored with your own show. You're not going to. 
you, 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 that, that, that you can do this every, every week for, for five years, seven years, and, and everything's going to be fine and comfortable. And yet it's never going to lapse into, uh, uh, uh mundane habits yeah. and, and like that. Well, I think that the, the opportunity you have given that your backdrop is this community college or, or, or is that you're not tied to, uh, to a, a traditional family situation where where the the, the obstacles are, are just going to be familial and and work related right that you seem to have created a a venue to where you can run just about anything you want through it yeah I mean and you could even like if you really wanted to it seems that um, like you could if, if you wanted to do an episode where half the episodes was like a sitcom within a sitcom of a family episode revolving around one of your character's families you could do that oh yeah absolutely and and it would work. Yeah. I mean, we people think that there's a shelf life to the fact that it's community college, but the show's not called community college. And they, I was urged to call it community college because they, oh, really? they did testing and uh, is that this is the word community is not. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. never going to trend on Twitter because, <laughs> and, and it's never going, people aren't going to remember it. It means nothing. It's like calling your show the. Yeah. And I said, well, it's also like calling it Cheers or you know, yeah. I, it's it's it'll get there. Yeah. Um. But uh. And if it doesn't, then what are we doing? Yeah. But more importantly, what if we last beyond four years? Uh. Are, are they all going to grow beards and start teaching each other? Um. You know, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> yeah. four years from now that 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 to have no uh. You know the 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 word blackboard isn't yeah. in the title, right? Right. Because right. you never know. Yeah. And, I, and I've been demonstrating, uh, you know, with increasing frequencies, sort of strategically, that although the show, uh, you know, exists there and is currently dancing around that tree, that it's the dance that you're watching and the characters that are alive and stuff. And we have very much so like done entire episodes where they never, they're not even on campus. I very purposely like first season, the camera never left the campus. Uh, and the and Why? it was because I thought that if we got a second season, yeah. that drop instead of trying to come up with a way to make things better, why not constrict yourself um, and simplify your world, sort of create a little Milwaukee for yeah. the first season, and then the illusion will be that if you just stop doing that in the in the second season, people will will scratch their heads and go, "How did the show get so much bigger and better?" And the answer is, "Oh, we stopped um, wearing that collar that we right. purposely staked ourselves to." Um, and and it, it it's it's like you know you're, you're playing basketball with weights in your ankles and then you right. take them off. We just the camera started leaving the campus, so now you're you see people's apartments, you see restaurants, you see. Um, uh, them driving in cars, going out drinking, uh, uh, you, you, uh, and and the uh, the the sensation that you get is the same one you would get if you were in your second year of knowing a new group of friends. It's uh, your world is getting bigger, and and there's sure. all these tunnels connecting, and, and you're in each right. other's lives more, uh, both on campus and off campus. Yeah. Was there also any sort of thought about well, if we can establish this thing in a solid way at the budget we have, that we'll be able to spend more money and take this thing a little further. No, no, never. No. Because no. it does cost more money to do what you're doing now, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah, kind of. I don't know. The thing that... the, the I, I could cut my budget in half if I... Um, if it would have to do with scheduling, like 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 getting my shit together sooner, like like it's a story driven show. So a lot of times, the thing that's really costing the most money is the fact 
that we're a little behind. Like it's a less predictable show. It's less templated. So week to week, it's like making a little movie. And sometimes it's not as quick to write those things in a week. But yes, if we only ever shot um, uh, on campus, it would always be cheaper than if we ever left. But at the same time, second season, what I started doing is, you know, some episodes don't leave one room. Yeah. Um, uh, they played Dungeons and Dragons for an entire episode before that. Before they did that, we, you know, we did we did a just a bottle episode that was like a generic bottle episode where they call it a bottle episode. Uh, but uh, and we we've done we've done a few of those and uh, a bottle episode. Yeah, that was a term that was invented by the Star Trek crew, I think. What does it mean? It means uh, for them that that was the episodes that they would. The shoot on Star Trek where you would never leave the bridge. Oh. So it's just you're you're a ship in a bottle. You're you're trapped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they're they can be cheap and they can be disastrous, but they can also be great. And, now you make all these references: Dungeons and Dragons, Star Trek, uh, comic books. Was that who you were? Uh, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. I, I would lose any contest with any like genuine bona fide Marvel or right. DC nerd that was yeah. sitting here. But I loved. I loved Spider-Man when I was in high school, and um, I, I comic. I wrote for uh, my uh, uh, friend Rob Schraub's uh, comic book uh, in Milwaukee. He had an independent comic book, and that comic book getting its film rights optioned uh, is why we moved to L.A. Because um, we thought that which comic? It was called Scud the Disposable Assassin. And was like, and that's what got you here. Yeah, he had like ten thousand readers. You know, at, at his at his peak, it was a black and white comic uh, about a robot that that shoots people. And how does a network, in terms of this idea that you know, if you did this, you could be like Two and a Half Men or any other of these mainstream sitcoms that, and and I think that Conan came came up against the same stark reality that that you know they still hold on to this number that is a large number of people with relatively low expectations that can't be shaken somehow mm -hmm. and and now i think what conan has found and what you're finding with this show and certainly uh, the audience the simpsons created among other things is that there is this evolving and growing up of this culture of kids that are incredibly smart you know very focused have a, a great sense of of genuine irony and, and also a great sense of of um you know these cultural artifacts that that are not mainstream at all, mm -hmm. uh, and they seem to unite around certain things. But this is a real audience, yeah. And is there in your mind, and they're a real upscale audience, and that's something that does appeal to even their crassest sensibilities because the upscale demographic means they have money, uh, the 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 IQs and money, and to you know parents that can pay for college and stuff like that. These these things all relate to buying buying the toothpaste that's being advertised while you're watching the show. Like the we may be low rated, but when you graph it by that 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 scale of like eighteen to twenty five people yeah. with money kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's and even just across the board demographic. Like we we have half of the young audience that uh, our biggest competitor, Big Bang Theory, has. When you when you when you divide these numbers in why certain is ways, that? Yours uh, is a smarter show. Uh, I, well, it's just I strangely enough, um, and I'm uh, there's a lot of like there's probably an overlap of Big Bang Theory's audience and our audience of like thirty percent. But my mom likes Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. So there must be not that she's stupid, but there there there's something that 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 there's something 
simpler there and more understandable there. Yeah. I think that I think that people who ha- have if you're a nurse and you work 14 hours a day and you you come home, I think that coming sometimes maybe coming home to an HBO show that that asks the question what is uh what is life and death and stuff maybe is what you're looking for, but I think that more often than not like in for the 45 minutes before you pass out um, your your research indicates that what we do is we flip through channels and we look for the least objectionable companion. We look for something that we're not we're not looking for our Citizen Kane. We're not looking for uh, our new favorite TV show because we know that we would keep flipping and then we would spend that forty five minutes frustrated right. because we're looking for something. Instead, we we drift to a sort of like middle um, of the aquarium and we keep it on while we play with our shoes or to, you know take off our, right. our our work clothes or make a sandwich. Okay. And that's how sort of like and. and uh, uh, the shows, all shows, are like cigarettes. The, the you watch two, you have a higher chance of watching three. Higher chance of they all, they're all addictive. Well, the interesting thing about your show about community is you can come in, in the middle and something will be happening that is going to be intrinsically interesting and funny without even knowing what the narrative is. I mean, it's happened to me, so I have to assume it happens to other people. I always try to make sure that's the case. I mean, is that I, true? Yeah, yeah. You're conscious of that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, everybody thinks, people, <laughs> the funny thing is, people who watch every single episode three times in a row, they they think uh, that there's all of these things, they're right to see all of these things that are connected, right. that are important, that pay off, but they make the mistake of thinking that that means that it's a uh, that you have to right. experience the show that way. Absolutely not. There, I mean, I, I I look at this thing always through the lens of uh, modularity. You, it's 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 got to be crack. You have to one rock has to do the same job. <laughs> that 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 you can't you can't tell somebody when you have an audience this small. Oh, you know, give it a chance. Or right. you should have been here last week. Then this would be even funnier. Right. I try to minimize that stuff. But that's so that's a practical thing, not a creative thing. It's both. I pride myself on that craftsmanship. That's like, uh, is it a practical thing or a creative thing to have certain kind of like, uh, you know, uh, if you're building a deck on your house, like you right. know, the fact that your foot doesn't go through it, like it's it's both. It's like yeah. you know, you're a proud carpenter. You know, you. But I think on a creative level, I mean that it, it seems to sort of. Um fit into the practical model in terms of, of network expectations and protecting your show. But on a creative level, it's, it's, it's very inspired uh, in terms of, of, of pacing a show and also loading it up with comedy content mm-hmm. and, and with content that is intrinsically interesting. Because I, did you have any idea that, that Glover and Pootie would become such an effective comedy team? D- uh, no, there's no way. I, I, who could anticipate? Like, because it, it, you look at other shows, like I... I almost everybody on that uh, on this show like they're if you take any of them and put them on another show like they would be the one carrying the show right and there there's so many of them under right. one roof it's it was so partly uh the Russo brothers were you know they have they've done a lot of casting and they were they had a different approach to casting that, yeah. that was very uh how is that it's the, it's patient right. um they 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 said look um everyone's going to try to pressure you into closing the bird in the hand um, and mixing the metaphor. Uh, the, the, everyone's going to try to pressure you. It's going to always feel like that parking space close to the close to the right aid, but not quite close enough. And that fear is that you 
you don't settle for that one and look for a closer one and you come back and that one's taken. Yeah. Because all these all the good actors they get snatched up in pilot season. But it's never really there's no they they this is them talking to me and they're like there's so few stories about um you know oh the one that got away right and so many more stories about um thank god we waited right um th- there's there's a th- and so we um, like with Tr- donald glover's character we just we just kept looking and looking and looking and looking and and we just had this policy and casting of until we're blown away by each of these people as individuals and what's the point you know mm-hmm. what what are we what are we going to do go to pilot with three of them being meh and then we'll change it after it's like how long did that take uh it took the full time i mean it took so long that by the the, the last character we cast was jim rash who plays the dean yeah um and we literally the bald guy yeah he's a he's an oddball he's very funny <laughs> he's amazing yeah he really is he's great because he's a writer uh uh the writer said um he's 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 a he's a groundling and he's a he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, not only is he a writer but i mean he's a good writer like right. he's actually a successful he has his own writing career he uh-huh. like, writes movies and stuff and right that. he but he's a comedy writer so he he just you you give him a a joke and it, you just never have a conversation with mm-hmm. him. I mean that goes for Donald too. Donald was a writer on Thirty Rock, and everybody's got a really high comedic IQ on that show. Anyways, the to we cast Jim Rash uh, on the like second day of shooting the pilot. Like we like we were shooting, we were almost done shooting the show, and we were it, downstairs from the building where we were shooting. Uh, we, there were people wanting to play the Dean lining up because right. we still hadn't found somebody. Wow. Well, I mean, it just seems that everybody seems to be inter- interfacing and interacting with each other. And they're the, you know, the com- the, it seems the characters are so set now that they can really have fun within those characters and how they interact with the other ones. Now, does that stuff, um, is there any improvs or no? Oh, yeah, tons. Uh, that more more as we go along because oh, yeah? yeah it becomes you, you the, the, I think the the writers and the and the actors even though we barely see each other we uh, there's this important back and forth that happens where the writers try to learn how it is that the actors are funny instead of working against them you know you you go well who is this person of course we we thought originally that maybe she was going to be the new Jennifer Aniston but it turns out she's the new blah 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 right. and 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 you you play to strengths you go like this was so funny the way she moves her head and she does this she does one of these and then it's also the actors like seeing their lines and doing them and making them their own and and just being willing to do anything and sort of sort of trust us so it it it, it the characters, they just sort of, I imagine this has to happen on any TV show. The actors kind of, like, they become, uh, they become kind of owners of their characters. They, they, they know what they're doing after a while. Well, it's, it's great because it seems that out of your, you know, insanely compulsive, uh, perfectionist, never quite happy nature... Uh, and your intelligence that you're not going to let any of this shit sit. I mean, I think one of the reasons why you, you probably are intrinsically opposed to to the predictability of mainstream sitcoms is that it would not satisfy your need to to just keep growing. Yeah, I do think I, I think I think it's our responsibility as uh, as people who strive to entertain to admit to ourselves that uh, we're doing this because we 
we are hoping that other people out there are like us. And if they're not, that, that to find the things that are similar so that we can start it, it, to connect. And so if you admit that, then your responsibility, yes, is to entertain yourself. It's like um, uh, if you're a if you're a cop on the street, you know, your responsibility should probably be no matter how stressful the job gets and no matter how many excuses you have. Yeah. Like, you know, in theory, if you're going to a domestic disturbance call, like you should be asking yourself, like, well, well how would I feel if this was my house and I was coming in the door? Right. Uh, I, I know, I'm not suggesting that that's how law enforcement should work. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, it, it, there's a the the human the human accountability there when you ha- when you're in a position of power over someone else as an entertainer is with an audience you're standing in front of 30 people you have the microphone they don't you you can abuse them you can make them suffer through watching someone oh, I, I know yeah uh or <laughs> phone it in or <laughs> yeah. like or beat uh, them up for liking you <laughs> yeah yeah that's true too yeah all kind yeah there's a mil- so it's it has to be constant growth because right. and that's a really good point um the the it it your your shit has to get old to you sure. because if you're just the guy who gets up there and says, oh, I'm doing bad stand-up again, yeah. um, you, you can, no matter how hard they laughed at that the first time, like, you have to, you have to move on, don't you? I mean, Well, you, yeah, you have to, like, well, I work that way, too. You know, you, you kind of sort of bore yourself into a corner right. until you have to literally, like, cut out of your body and, and you know, reemerge with something new. Something has to feed it. And, and, you know, usually frustration and anger will feed my creativity, my impulse that, you know, I need to, I need to have so- something else has to happen or I'm going to die inside. Yeah. But like that, but it's interesting you bring up that complacency because when you see something that's, a, that's definitely off that path and, and there's people driving it, it you, you, you feel like something new is happening. It's the same with 30 Rock as well. That that uh, not you know I hope you're not offended by it. I'm not really making a comparison. Just that you have comedy happening for comedy's sake, and that it's and because of the performers and the characters that you've created, even though they don't exist in the family atmosphere or anything we've expected, they are definitely well grounded characters, and and it seems like there's humanity just coming out of them. Yeah, well, Thirty Rock's definitely. I mean, I I watch that show with a notepad out because what's for sale there is comedy like the the i don't i don't know what show is on the air right now that has to be beholden to a half hour narrative and be funny that is that is nailing it in the in the column of setups and punchlines right quite the way that those writers are um and uh you can tell uh that those are a caliber of comedy writers that are so dedicated to the laugh that there's uh, something inside them that forbids them from indulging in the sap. Yeah. And when you when you're when you're 20% less funny than your average 30 rack writer like I am in a setup punchline way, like it's easier to go to do the thing that I I I want to do anyway th- that which is which is appeal to the heartstrings. Just add that much, like, and and make sure that the people think that the people are living down the street somewhere. Oh yeah, because to, to me that's like what what's the funniest thing that happened to you last year? It's it it's some story you have about a friend of yours, and and it's and if you put it on TV, the time Gary's pants fell down at the yeah. banquet. Eh, okay, I've seen better. Uh, you know, Jerry Lewis did a thing where his pants went up, up over his head. Um, <laughs> but the story you had to be there because Gary and oh my god, and it was the banquet and his pants yeah, fell yeah. down. It's a relationship 
relationship you have yeah, with yeah, Gary, yeah. and it made it made you laugh until tears are streaming down your face. So I just, yeah, the Thirty Rock, you can't quite like. I mean, they're being so funny, right? <laughs> you can't even believe they, uh, they're they're That's they're true. they're over there. So that's a good observation. Yeah, and it, I can definitely see the difference that there's a, a little more heart, and there, you know, their your characters are. Are, are more they're sympathetic in a different way but you better believe that those guys sit over there i think this is a pretty educated guess i think those guys justifiably sit there and if our show ever comes up they go uh yeah well it's pretty pretty easy to kind of just play a music cue and make people think your show is sad when it's supposed to be funny you know what i mean like <laughs> I, I i would i would shudder to hear the kinds of thing and I, I guess i do walk around obviously with that in my head which is a good thing i keep i keep i keep this ghost of tina fey in my brain when i'm writing and i keep a ghost of of my mom and i keep a ghost of 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 all of my friends in silver lake and uh-huh. i i i, I I try to. I got to please them all at the same time. Like, so you're you're uh, a haunted house of expectations <laughs> that you can never live up to. Yeah, I am. I am a, an eight track of, yeah. of voices. <laughs> You've uh, got a bunch of ghosts beating you up on a daily basis. Yeah, making you feel guilty that you're not good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I, if that works for you, <laughs> have you told your therapist about the ghosts? Uh, uh yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I, I haven't. But I I can't go to therapies uh, therapists anymore. I, I gave up on them. You did. I just decided to. As long as I can keep doing shows like this uh work though the yeah it's the, that's insane what am i saying it's of course i can't keep doing it i have to go back to therapy well you know you, i mean sometimes you got to take a break sometimes you know there's that that old issue of like you know hey you know what i'm doing is working yeah maybe i don't want to strip away all the the layers of the onion to find a crying child that i don't know how to parent yeah that uh, what's your opinion about that do you think that that's true that's the, that's always the comics first like i, I have never been uh, I've not articulated that. I, I do not commit to my problems as a means to be creative. Uh, I never thought of it that way. I didn't think that, you know, not for very long did I think that if I quit drinking, I wouldn't be funny anymore. Uh, I do, on a deeper level, I think there's a real question of, look, here is the prognosis for you. Now, like you seem to be in, in extraordinarily self-aware of your you know creative abilities and and also of the world you live in and 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 of yourself to a certain degree i mean what it really comes down to is am i ready and willing to let go of of these things Mm -hmm. do i want to put the work in to get to this place where i could have a functioning relationship where i could be intimate and and recently i have found that like when it was laid out to me it's like look you have these problems and i think they're dealable but this is what we got to do and then there's part of you that's like, oh, but I'm having a pretty good time. Uh, you know, I, right. I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, life isn't that long. I mean, is is trust that important? <laughs> right, 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 right. So those are really the negotiations. I, I don't really ever think like, you know, I got to stay this way to be funny. So I, th- I think what you're saying is that like, the, the, you know, the old the old wives tale among comics is if I stop being crazy, I'll stop being funny. But the truth is, if you stop being honest, you'll stop being funny. Right. And and it's easier to be honest about how crazy you are than it is to be like like I, I think if that's you, right, it, that's right. You 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 have to be yourself, and you have to like be. Uh, quote unquote happy, but whatever that means, actualized, whatever, but like sort of uh, functionally relaying what it's like to be you to an audience, right? And if you're if you're just, for instance, sober because uh, you know you have to be, and you're secretly resenting the world, but you're not sharing that. I, I, I don't. It's, in some way, like you're not at peace with that, or or you, th- th- then you're just. 
it's not that you needed to be drunk to be funny. It's that you need to you need to have your outlet. Yeah, you you need Blow to you need to stem. know who you are. In That's one way right. Or another. Well, well, I think really what it comes down to also is I've had moments right now where you know I feel okay with myself. You, you know, I'm I'm not that much different, but I'm not actively dreading everything. I'm not consumed with panic most of the time. I'm not assuming that everybody you know thinks I'm shit or hates me, and and so I've got a little freedom to experience what it's like to be relatively comfortable. But then like what you were talking about we we're wired a certain way whether wires are cut or they're just there i find my biggest fear is not that i won't be funny but it's that like i actually get to a point where i'm like you know i, I feel pretty good i think i'm done with this all right <laughs> See, i'm, I'm, I'm terrible when you say you describing that out loud like I, I i just got like uh chills like i i i, I have so much work to do like like uh uh, on, on that part of my, I, I I still don't believe in my heart of hearts that if I become uh, uh, comfortable with my uh, acceptability in the world, right? Um, that I, I I think it'll all fall apart. I I I think that because I I I sit on Twitter. I just live through Twitter. I there are episodes of the show that. I wasn't all the way there for. I was focused on the one before or after it more so than I than I than I wished as much as I wished I could have been for that one. So it's sort of a it's an okay episode. It's like yeah. you know Neil. This Gold, is in your head. This is in my head that I'm I'm making all these judgments of of the content. Yes, but on um, some level, then aren't you doing what you said? That, you know, you, aren't you 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 you've got to be careful not. To assume that your audience thinks what you think, well, or you're going to take shit away from them. Well, do yeah. You ex- do you express that stuff on Twitter? Do you say, you know, I didn't really like. No, that no, no, no. Oh, God, okay. no, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I learned that a while ago. Like, like, like to you know, uh, deflecting compliments used to be my specialty. And sure. So someone pointed out that that's offensive. Well, you've got to make sure. Listen, I'm not talking at you. I'm talking at myself. But like all those ghosts that you have in your head are are your own. Uh, egos manifestations of those individuals you know i'm sure tina fey has a tremendous amount of respect for what you do and it, you probably genuinely so you've constructed these these archetypes for yourself to 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 provide a service for you but it doesn't mean that's what's happening oh yeah 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 that's true i mean i i and i i would never i never get on twitter and go like oh this episode sucks sorry i wanted to work on it more because i want because it's that that just a fact that's like me putting my thumb on the scale and that the whole point is how am i driving and and i can't how how, right. uh, how did this work did it work or not and you can only know that by by unveiling it and having them react organically now when, when they do react positively yeah. like to the 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 recent one that we did that was like a my dinner with andre oman oh, i saw that it was good that i thought was going to be the end of 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 my career uh, like when they started saying that they liked it i started weeping and i was like i did say something to the effect of like I, I, you know, I said I don't know what to say about an uh, an audience that likes an episode like this, except maybe we're stuck stuck with each other forever. Meaning that I thought this was gonna, I thought you were gonna hate this. Um, so I will say stuff like that. Like I really thought you guys were gonna think this episode sucked. I'm so glad you liked it. Right. Well, it, what's interesting, it, 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 you know, because I have all these same feelings, and you know, and I'm constantly on Twitter fishing for, for uh, va- not just validation, but to be. Like, because it's very hard for me not to engage in that dialogue. Like the sort of like, oh, I, I wasn't that good. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, it's not even fishing. You know, you brought up unconditional love you know, probably three times mm-hmm. during this during this conversation. And there's this idea because when I went to therapy, 
uh, you know, that, and the therapist had a profound effect on me, you know, talked about this, this notion of primal union, which is that there's a period where the, the child is connected to their mother in, in such a way that, um, that there is no distinction between the two bodies, mm. that there, there is this type of love that is organic and biological. And, you know, either there, you know, there, there's an active break from that, that your mother is responsible and says, and starts letting you, you know, function as a self without her or else you never break that thing and that there's always something craving uh, something that is not not attainable anymore and and I think that unconditional unconditional love is not is not a, it, it, it's not a human capacity right it's not a real thing it's like it's like it's well, that's like, why there's there's Jesus right it's like the Christ mythology I was just gonna say it's a it's a it's a target that makes a good yeah, it's like a tracking. Uh, right, but there is something inside of us that, like, and when you you sort of have that image of yourself, like, it's never quite good enough that you're really looking for, you know, because I look for it too. That that kind of like, no, it is. Everything you do is good, right? <laughs> and, but you would fight that as well, right? So, and, and and people who, I mean, the pe- people who had closer to that than we had, yeah, they're not funny, right? They can't. <laughs> Like, have you ever met somebody who grew up, like, with swell parents? Uh, Like, I just, I'm really, really suspicious of them. Yeah, I I am too, man. And, you know, know, I've talked to a lot of people that that say they had okay parents. But, you you know, but all these problems that we're having are are common to, like, almost anybody. I don't trust anybody that seems to exude genuine confidence, especially if they're uninspired. And I think it's all manifestations of, of how hard we have to be on ourselves to continue doing what we're doing but but getting back to that idea that like i like i am baffled and overwhelmed with anything that comes over me like joy like i i literally do not know how to handle it right 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 yeah. like it makes me weep yeah. which is really not this supposed to happen yeah you're supposed to go like this is what it's about right not me i'm like oh, i can't this no let's just stop it well did you hear i was sitting in my in my house i was right. crying looking at twitter because people didn't hate an episode well, I that's great that's, that's me experiencing I... life i'm gonna go to heaven and abe lincoln's gonna go i i i ended slavery what did you do and i'm gonna go i it, when i wasn't jerking off i was sitting in the same chair doing a different kind of jerking off like I, but it was weeping and but the thing my girlfriend was in the other room and she was watching the same twitter feed and she was like yelling out going yeah. like they like it they like it she wants to experience my shitty life with me like she, she, she that's good enough for her and i couldn't i was i couldn't go in there with her right until it was until i was done like until my tears were were dry what am i crying for like like watching a twitter feed that's so like, like but but i mean the answer is you're 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 i'm I don't, I don't mean I shouldn't have. I just mean right. like that's how, like yeah, we're I'm not pride, we're, feeling proud of yourself and and feeling uh you know joy is weird. Yeah, yeah, because to me it immediately becomes the third act of some movie where a guy's got cancer. But as soon as somebody <laughs> likes something that I yeah. did, it's yeah. because I, in my head the first two acts are. Right. Uh, I get that too. Uh, I, I'm I'm always waiting for the other fucking shoe to drop. Right. So. Well, we seem to have arced out. I mean, I would like to talk about, you know, the Sarah Silverman thing and stuff, but it, it doesn't really happen happen in a timeline. Um, but it, it, around that being canceled and that kind of stuff, I, I mean, it seemed like a natural evolution for you that you know, it was a growing experience. And and you know, what happened around that show? What was the fight there? That was a different growing experience for me because I left that show before they even started airing the uh, first season's episodes. Oh, so you were out. Yeah, Sarah and I had kind of a 
we didn't we had we had sort of it wasn't even creative differences it was like it was personality sort of conflict and it was I'll I'll the buck stops it with with me I think I'm I'm bad to uh, write with uh, I think that uh, we did it we did this amazing pilot and. Um, it was easy, you know. We we, we what brought you together? Uh, was it a, an executive uh, that brought you together? Or did she seek you out? Or? I think it was like Comedy Central had yeah. our names on some list right, right. that of guys that were possible, you know, possibly okay at writing a pilot. I guess right. I don't know how we ended up on that list, but I know that when she saw our names, she recognized Rob's name because she had been circulating this video tape that Steve Agee had given her, which was Rob's. Rob reenacting Jaws four with his penis as the shark, right? And Michael Caine as an orange, and uh, and he and he just uh, attacks the orange uh, with his penis. His penis has a little duct tape fin on it, and it's 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 just the video of his dick. And so that's how we got this sit down with this uh, uh, person who was doing a Comedy Central show. And I was at an all time low at that point, so I really needed this thing. What I was do you a mean huge you broke? Fan of yeah, broke, but also like broke like. Yeah, like 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 running out of my nest egg, and also like, where is the next meeting going to come from? Uh, what am I going to do? Yeah, and uh, and and also on top of that, huge fan of Sarah's, like for for a long time, like really admired her uh, her voice and her 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 craftsmanship. Like she's a very meticulous stand up. Yeah, um, and I I I really felt like if I don't write the show. Uh, it doesn't matter if the one that's th- that they do without me is good or bad. I'll kill myself. Like right. I'll, I'll uh, because if it's better, blah blah blah. I, I don't have to expound on that because y- you know exactly what I mean. It's like, but but the the uh, we did the pilot and the pilot was great. But then trying to do a show together, like me as head writer and her for the first time finally getting her props and having a having a, I, I kept thinking to myself oh i get it i'm larry david and she's jerry seinfeld so right. let's do this and i think that she was thinking why is this asshole that i like you know pulled out of a gutter yeah. like and gave this opportunity like why does he think he's larry david right. like, which i look back at it and i go like oh my god i kind of like like this perspective comes over and i go jesus christ no wonder like it must have been so grating for her were but you I, were able to validate that or is that something you're making up uh, that she thought that. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I, I, you know, uh, no, I never asked her. Hey, you thought I was an asshole, right? right. Like, what, what kind of answer are you gonna get? Uh, I mean, we're we're cool with each other, um, and we've never said anything bad about each other creatively. I think the, the, I think she hit the nail on the head when when we we parted ways, and she said, uh, I, I just, I, I, I need to be the only crazy person in the room, <laughs> which I think is the perfect way to say it. Oh, that that makes sense. Yeah. Now, what is this? Um, before I I, I go, let's talk about. About uh, Channel 101 and what what it what it serves and what it does and where it came from. Uh, yeah, Channel 101. I'm glad you brought that up because I was uh, I was loath in not bringing it up be- when we were talking about community and its sort of um, the modularity thing, the right. idea of, that it needs to be appealing to anyone walking by, but also this really satisfying to people who are longtime viewers. Because a lot of those muscles are come from Channel 101. What is Channel 101? Channel 101 is a, a video film festival that Rob Schraub and I started in 2003. Um, it was uh, back when there was no YouTube. Um, there there was 
just digital video festivals. And people were starting to organize those into themes and things like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, come to the Knitting Factory and show us your video about Valentine's Day, stuff right. like that. We we were doing that, too. It was all sort of a movement because there were these hand cams now with digital videotape, and so this, this thing was happening sort of in the L.A. underground naturally. Um, but we we wanted to separate ourselves out and also didn't want to have to tell people they sucked right. um, to, to, too bad to be in it. Right. So Rob came up with the concept of what if we made the audience uh, in charge uh, of whether these people sucked or not. In other words, what if what if you what if when you came to our show, if half of the stuff was shitty, uh, that was the point. Right. Uh, that it was like American Idol or something. Right. That it was your job to distinguish. And I said, oh god, that's great. Now we don't have to be <laughs> yeah, the, the a- dicks, the, the yeah. assholes that, yeah. that that chased us into the underground. Right. Uh, who who said no to us? And right. Because who are we? So we put the audience in charge, had them vote, and we also patterned it after TV. So you're you're when you submit to Channel 101, you're submitting a five minute TV pilot, um, which is different from cinema. Uh, in, a, in an emotional context because the artist is beholden to the audience even if they're not voting. In TV, there's you, you have to admit to yourself when you get out of bed in the morning that the whole reason you're doing this is because you want everybody to be happy. Right. Uh, you, can, you can make a movie about a tea kettle whistling <laughs> yeah. while you cut your dick with a razor and, yeah. and, and you can bring it to Sundance and if everyone boos, you can say that's the point. Uh, and you could be right and you could win an Oscar. And that would be the only Oscar that Dino would win. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I shouldn't have given away his uh, his big idea for yeah, the movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, in TV, yeah. it's like it's advertiser driven, it's audience driven, it's numbers driven, and so we, there's good, healthy things that come out of that. You know, getting over yourself, uh, and and so we, it, I think that's the reason it really took off because it was appealing to this sort of very specific, very resourceful, no bullshit. Um, sort of the equivalent of a of a the equivalent filmmaker to like the kind of the guys that go join car clubs who like yeah. really really want to wrench on the engines and pride themselves on how these things run Being and, a, yeah, working and love good. to talk to each other right. about what they do and team up and stuff but figure also figure out ways to solve problems yeah uh, narrative problems uh, gear problems uh, shooting problems yeah and relish the sort of the abuse of like uh-huh. a potential crash uh-huh. or, uh, oh, or great. you know a, a defeat and sort of like like want to get better kind of drawn to that like a moth to the flame so, I mean, it's you know. So the uh, the That's... guys that do the SNL digital shorts, the Lonely Island guys, they were doing Channel One Hundred and One in the beginning. The guys that that ended up creating Blue Mountain State, <laughs> uh, you were uh, were doing it in the beginning days. Like, uh... so it actually functions as a way for young filmmakers and TV uh, writers and 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 directors or anybody actors to try this shit out and, and get stuff out there and get a reaction to it. Yeah, I think so. At the very least. I mean, because for a while there, it very much was just almost a crass kind of poaching ground for others. You were just, there were there were people in suits stalking around in the background, like, you know, because that was the place where you were going to find maybe a, a, a client or something. And I wouldn't encourage that as an incentive because if you're coming for that, then there's a good chance you suck. But I do think that that's an awesome benefit. But more importantly, until that happens, uh, what a great place to get your shit together. And how do they get there? Is it still it's still up and running? Uh, it's at the downtown independent every, on the last Saturday of. Every how do you month. submit? Uh, there's a if you go to the website if you go to channel101.com you can uh, you, there's a there's an address you can send 
a uh, a tape too. We're still way we, we don't have like an online submission. Uh, How do you have time yet. to fucking deal with that? Uh, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, it, we've long since sort of like we Rob and I show up for every show and we we introduce it and we we. I, I I write a check, you know, to keep the web server running and 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 to keep you know we do an award show every year and I sort of, it's it's my it's my Ronald McDonald house for wayward uh. <laughs> filmmakers and TV writers. <laughs> now, how did this uh, impact modularity in your thinking? Uh, because you the audience is never a guarantee at those things. You you ha- the only people that excel at those things are the people that strike a balance between entertaining everyone who's new that night and everyone who voted for your show last month. Mm-hmm. So you because you, you do have both people there because the whole point is if you if you do you, you get renewed on a month to month basis. So there's no six episode order. You can't just rest on your laurels and say well. Oh, so it's actually okay. I get it. So it's episodic. Yeah. So you want people to get in there and, and keep winning. Yeah. The day you're off your game, you're canceled. Period. Oh. I mean, if it worked that way in so TV. Oh, that's great. So there isn't a competition element to it, too. Well, that's awesome, man. So that, that, and in, in that had influence on you creatively directly because you saw how much energy was going into these five minute pieces mm-hmm. and, and whether or not they could string a narrative through and they would also stand on their own as well. Yeah. And another thing that we all adapted to doing in order to strike that balance is genre and medium became uh, a, a variable. You know how, like, everybody was wondering before Einstein whether or not there was some ether that light traveled through and stuff, and he was the first guy to say, well, what if time and space were variables? And people said, oh, that's crazy. Look at your hair. But but what if genre was variable in television? Uh, the, the the and not just in a uh, I mean I guess the answer is moonlighting. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but there's there's sometimes I mean so Channel One Hundred One like uh, we sort of it was it it, it became the a common thing to do to have your I mean I, I you know I I one of my my first show was called Computer Man it was Jack Black. Uh, was my computer? I spilled blood on my keyboard, and it became Jack Black with like a monitor on his head, yeah, and uh, and in his underwear, and uh, and it was like this sort of buddy show about me with my living computer. Uh, and three episodes in, it was getting stale. So I remember I like the fourth episode, it they got launched into space, and it became like the sci-fi show. They were oh, out in space, it. trying to so you and and that was the. If that became a commonplace thing, like in the latter days, like 2005, 2006, you would somebody would launch a show. I remember uh, these guys, uh, Ryan Ridley and Abed Gates, did a show called Phone Sexers. It was about two guys that do a phone sex line. Every episode was kind of like that. Like they did a Phone Sexers episode that was like Die Hard. They did a Phone Sexers episode that was like Hellraiser. Right. Uh, and uh, they, they that was like peak form that was going on before that and since that but i just i remember that sticking out and going like isn't it great that those characters that that that's the only thing that's consistent and the sort of premise but the camera can can just decide that this week it's a thriller right okay Um, i get it so that though so that actually had a, a profound effect on your sensibility yeah i think we all toned those muscles simultaneously well, right on. Uh, Dan, it was great talking to you. You're a very fucking uh, smart guy. Well, I hope uh, uh, you'll understand, given the content of the interview, when I say that I don't think I did a very good job on your show. Well, you know, I, I would uh, first, you know, tell the committee in the head that uh, it was great. And I'll tell you to your face that it was uh, one of the most intellectually engaging episodes I've done. Oh, well, fantastic. All right, man.
So Conan was dumber? Is that what you're saying? I gotta go. <laughs> Holy shit. Dan Harmon's a fucking genius. Am I right? Wow. What an intense guy. I, I'm, I'm going to have to sit and process uh, this episode. I, 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 that was a, it was a very compelling conversation. I hope you enjoyed that. Please go to WTFPod.com. It's the brand new site. We're putting videos up. We're having a good time. Uh, you can get the, you can get, you can get anywhere from there. You can get the premium episodes if you want. You can get the apps. You can uh, also go to iTunes, uh, WTF Premium. We're uploading more of the uh, classic episodes, the older episodes, slowly but surely. You can do that. JustCoffee.coop, of course, always. Where is mine? I iced it. Cold brewed, iced, JustCoffee.coop. Pow! I just shit my pants. But it's chilled. It's chilled. Again, Foxwoods Casinos. That's uh, this week, June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Denver Comedy Works, June 16th through 19th. Why can't I write so I can read my fucking writing? All right, I got to go find some pictures of my mother. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>